Today on Act News Daily. Now, maybe he likes the water information. They realize that, you know, there's something going on with the food production. It's like, oh, let me connect that water information with some of our crop models. And if they close the loop and involve more people. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Tuesday here on the Agnes Daily Podcast, although I'm not sure it's a very happy Tuesday for a lot of folks, Ashton. I know you in particular are facing some pretty nasty cold weather. We here in central Iowa are as well as really most of the country uh, across the northern plains, the area here down there in, and the Midwest is having some pretty bad weather here over the past few days. Certainly, Delaney, my roommate and I woke up this morning and she made a joke about us being in the Midwest right now, because when you look out the window, it certainly is what it looks like. We've been getting just sheets of snow coming down um, today and on, I believe it was Sunday was when it really started coming down on us. But I was without power all day Sunday. And then we also have rolling blackouts going on today just to kind of save and conserve as much as the city can. And I know that other cities across the state of Texas are experiencing the same thing. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of folks are without water right now. And, you know, I mean, we're down here in Texas. This is nothing like anything that we have really ever experienced before. So it's just complete mania right now, I think. Yeah. And so to add to that news, there's about 5 million Americans struggling without power or these rolling blackouts. And to be honest, Ash, before you mentioned those to me this morning, I really had no idea what those are. But the way I understand it is essentially, I don't know how they figure it out, but maybe it's by grid, maybe it's by street. I don't know. But basically what they're doing, Ashton, is they are going through and shutting off people's power in Section A from this time to this time. And then they're turning it back on and turning off this section's power. Is that right? Is that how a rolling blackout works? From my understanding, I've never experienced one myself up until today, but um, I, I live on the west side of town, so my power was out from um, for about 30 or 45 minutes this morning, and as soon as mine came on, my friend who lives on the south side of town texted me and asked if I had power, so as soon as mine came on, hers went off. And so I, I think that's how they do it. I'm not exactly sure, you know, how they decide, you know, who gets power or anything like that. But but yeah, they just kind of divide the the town or the grid um, up and kind of turn them on and off like they're mm-hmm. playing with the light switch. Yeah. So I was talking to some folks from Nebraska. I saw, I think on Twitter, that Kansas is also doing these rolling blackouts. But with 5 million Americans without power, the other thing that is lacking power right now is the transportation industry. Uh, We're seeing quite a few delayed shipments of goods from corn and soybeans, as well as ethanol and oil and other uh, goods and services. The trade is really watching that right now closely to see how that impacts grain production or grain um, transportation in particular. But traders say that it's increasingly hard to move grains right now on the Pacific Northwest down to the port for exports. And we're seeing ice warnings restrict the navigation on the Illinois River. Energy costs have soared, prompting some ethanol and soybean processing plants to slow down. And this is really having a ripple effect across not just mainstream America, but also agriculture in particular. You know, the other part that I hate to even talk about, but these temperatures are so cold that folks who calve in the winter also are probably having some issues with new babies being born, getting too wet and not being able to um, get warmed up here during these conditions. But 
stay warm out there right now, folks. Yeah, Delaney, my heart goes out to those farmers and ranchers who are having to work through this weather. I've been seeing a lot of chilling, not to, you know, be, you know, punny here, but these chilling images of these farmers taking care of, you know, cattle, because a lot of people are calving right now and carrying those babies inside and trying to take care of them as best as they can. So my heart definitely goes out to them, really takes some true grit and resiliency to get through that. But talking about the, the ethanol industry a little bit more, not really just transportation, but what plants look like right now, because they are struggling to stay online as these frigid temperatures, ice and snow continue to blanket much of the U.S. Renewable Fuels Association CEO Jeff Cooper calls the situation a real mess right now. He was quoted as saying, we've got ethanol output rates that are way down. We've heard from numerous producers in the last several days that many of them have had to drop to 50 or 60 percent of their normal run rates because they're trying to conserve natural gas. There have been electricity outages. And speaking to reporters during the virtual National Ethanol Conference earlier today, Cooper says a substantial share of the industry's capacity is currently idle or will be within the next few days because of the winter storm. So, you know, not just transportation, but again, just electricity and trying to conserve and all of that I say good stuff, but really not good stuff. This is some some struggling times that we're in, but hopefully we have seen the worst of it because I know at least here in Lubbock, we are supposed to be warming up within the next couple of days. Yeah, I think most parts of the country are going to get some reprieve here from these really, really cold temperatures, but definitely could have some long-term market impacts like you're mentioning, Ashton, as well as what I mentioned with the ethanol and oil industry, but also winter wheat kill is a concern right now uh, for these really cold temperatures. According to Arlen Suderman of Stonex, he said that these are textbook winter kill conditions for wheat and we could see as much as 30% damage over the belt focus of course on Kansas with some damage here um, of some hard red winter wheat here as we continue to move through this cold patch. So really folks, I mean, if you don't have to go outside, I I wouldn't, I would advise against it. I'm no doctor. I'm no meteorologist, but uh, I think that's uh, kind of the consensus is don't go outside if you don't have to right now, but switching tracks here just a little bit, Ashton, For some non-weather related news, we are set to see the Senate schedule their final approval on February 23rd of Tom Vilsack's nomination to return for his second stint at head of the USDA. So it's expected to be pretty smooth sailing here for his final confirmation. And I'm thinking he's probably going to get voted in pretty quickly and we should see him take office probably as early as here within by the end of the month i would think so well delaney we are seeing some news come from the taiwan government as they are facing a referendum in the next six months on allowing u.s meat containing rectopamine to be imported Taiwan's president issued an executive order back in August allowing pork and beef imports containing the growth and leanness feed additive to be imported beginning this year. The lifted ban caused several protests in Taiwan citing health concerns. Now, I reported on that piece of news, but I did not realize or, you know, keep up with how it was going to, you know, be impacting of the market, right, Ashton? 
Yes, I, I couldn't figure out my words there, but thank you for helping me get back up on my feet. But reports say the decision to allow ractopamine in meat exports was done to create a path for free trade between Taiwan and the U.S., but it might not be that way in the next six months as we see this referendum come to light. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I was just looking at some news here about the Philippines, wondering if that was also the the key there. But it doesn't seem ractopamine is kind of the key point here. But the Philippine government is working to open up a plan to import more pork from other countries, including the United States. The National Pork Producers Council has been working really hard on this front because the Philippine government and Philippine consumers are seeing an unprecedented shortage of pork and consumers have been complaining about extremely high pork prices, according to the NPPC. They've been working closely with the Philippine government to increase the import quota that they have. The current quota is only about 54,000 metric tons, but the government is proposing to increase that to 400,000 tons. So that would give Philippine farmers quite a jump in having some available fresh pork supply for their consumers. Delaney, I just have one piece of news to end for today, and it's ending on a high note for the folks working in the food and ag industry in Michigan. Michigan's Health and Human Services Department says the state's food processing and ag workers can start getting the COVID-19 vaccine starting March 1st. The state estimates about 80,000 essential Michigan residents in the food supply chain are eligible and immigration status does not affect a person's ability to get vaccinated. The quote 1B group is the largest essential worker segment to have access to vaccines to date. And I don't know if that's just in the state of Michigan or if it's across the U.S., but um, when I reported first on, you know, when vaccines are rolling out, I did, you know, mention that these workers were in the 1B group and it's really kind of, you know, taking over with that 80,000, at least just there in Michigan. But Michigan Agribusiness Association President Chuck Lipstrew, who's leading the state's rural work group on vaccination strategies, says the announcement is very positive news to help keep the food and ag supply chain moving. Vaccinations can be scheduled through county health departments or at certain retail pharmacies um, like Merger and Rite Aid. We don't have those down here in Texas. So those folks up there in Michigan, obviously, you know what those things are. So if you are looking to get vaccinated and you're part of that 1B group, you can do so starting March 1st. So folks, keep your eye out on that. And I haven't heard of any other states that are allowing the food and ag sector to start being vaccinated, but I could be wrong. So folks, if I am, please do let me know. Yeah, I haven't heard of any other states yet that are allowing that either action, but I'll be sure to keep my ears open. Uh, The final piece of news I have for today is regarding the Paycheck Protection Program. Checks are probably not quite being distributed yet for this latest round, but the window is open for you to be able to apply right now if that's if you either are a business paying employees or you file a schedule f however this round of paycheck program paycheck protection program that's kind of a mouthful um has a few couple changes that actually should benefit farmers pretty substantially the first round of tabulated payments 
are based on or were based on farmers' net income, which is income after deduction and expenses. As probably some of our listeners know, this number is often low or negative because farmers don't want to show an income on their balance sheet. And you also have to take into account depreciation that a lot of farmers claim on equipment. But for 2021, farmers can use their gross income to apply, which is a pretty major change. That apparently handicapped quite a few farmers who originally sought a PPP loan. And so Congress has changed a few things. Again, I'm no tax accountant, so be sure to check in with your folks, your uh, accountant folks, or your banker. If you have questions on this, maybe we can drum up a, an interview too, Ashton, to get a little more clarity. But it's going to be, again, based on your gross income. And we also saw Congress pass back in December that um, loans are forgivable up to about 60% or excuse me, loans are forgivable as long as 60% or more of the proceeds go to approved expenses, which can include self-employment compensation and a few other things. Again, check with your accountant. I am not an accountant. I can't answer that for you. But the other key thing is that Congress passed in December, this money will not be taxed as income and it won't affect the deductions that you take. So there are a couple key differences to this round of the Paycheck Protection Program. I won't go into all of those fine print details, but if you haven't applied yet and you do file a Schedule F or you are a business with employees, it might be something worth looking into. I've talked to a lot of folks who have filed and had quite a bit of success. Um, I've actually filed for the Paycheck Protection Program this round. Ashton, that's how I can continue to pay you to host the podcast with me. But um, there, there is a lot of aid floating around that farmers should absolutely take advantage of this year if you can. So... I think with that, Ashton, though, I am all out of my news for today. Let's talk markets really quickly here before we get to today's interview. What do you say? Let's do it. All right. Well, we saw green across the screen after yesterday's markets were closed for President's Day, the holiday session there. But we did see grains open up higher into tonight and continue that strength into today. March corn up 13 and a half cents today to close at 5.52 and a quarter. The May up 13 and a quarter to close at 5.49 and three quarters. Soybeans up higher today as well as the March contract added 12 and three quarters cents to close at 13.84 and three quarters. The May up 14 and a half to close at 13.85 and three quarters. Chicago wheat higher as well as the March contract added 20 and three quarters cents to at 6.57 and a half. The May up 20 and a quarter to close at 6.61 and a half. Hopping over to take a look at livestock, we saw some mixed trade in the cattle complex today as live cattle was higher, feeder cattle lower. The April live cattle contract added 62 and a half cents to close at 125.80. The June up 40 to close at 121.70. And then feeder cattle, as I mentioned, lower today as the March contract shed seven cents to close at 140.77 and a half. The April down 12 and a half to close at 144.60. Lean hogs higher today as the April lean hog contract added 97 and a half cents to close at 86.17 and a half. The May up a dollar 17 to close at 88.27 and a half. And rounding things out here with our class three dairy milk futures. March up 14 today to close at 16.70. The April up 12 to close at 17.26. Without further ado, Ashton, let's get over to our interview today with Ag Monitor. Oh, 
Well, for today's Tech Tuesday interview, we are talking to Olivier. And Olivier, you're going to have to say your last name because I know that you pronounced it to me, but I am not good with names, but you're with Ag Monitor. So Olivier, if you could just introduce yourself um, and tell us a little bit about your background in agriculture. Absolutely. So my last name, Jeffignon, uh, rhymes with the, the Sauvignon type of grape. And I think like everybody in farming, we all come from different places of the world and we're I have a common passion about uh, soil and, and growing sustainable food. So happy to be on this podcast. Uh, I started Ag Monitor several years ago to address the need of food energy water nexus. All the crop production is related to you know access to uh, fresh water, and there's changing regulation, and also dealing with rising energy costs and uh, basically. The energy sector, the food sector, uh, are using 95% of the fresh water resource. So we, we address those needs on a regional level, level for example, Central Valley. And we manage uh, hundreds of thousand acres for farmers and, and increase their profits by making better decisions using a mixture of public data that's available. Uh, for example, utilities or satellite and their own you know, sensor data at the, at the field. So Olivier, at Ag Monitor, you have three solutions, the pump monitor, ranch monitor, and crop monitor. So can you just introduce those three solutions to myself and the audience and what exactly each of those is doing? For sure. So those three solutions are like three doors to a larger uh, house. Uh, What we see today is the biggest barrier for a farmer who's transitioning his farm or his operation to his son or someone who is working in a corporate farm or you know institution owned like a entrance uh, type of entity uh, farm operation is to get a digital copy of the farm and so something's going to trigger that uh, so for example pop monitor helps with providing regulatory uh, records for water you know uh, regulations uh, the Ranch monitor is the energy door. If you're dealing with different rate structure, solar, it becomes very difficult to manage your bills. And the crop monitor is to deal with, you know, uh, trying to, you know, deploy a new crop, adjust, you know, your your portfolio of your farming properties and integrate some uh, expertise from, you know, 20 years of research out there in a simple format. And so, all of that in common that people have to kind of go from you know, managing the farm from the city pants, having people on the field, uh, which is really very costly now with the rising labor cost, to having a dual copy of the farm where they can make decisions remotely while having people on the field. Uh, and it's really around making things data-driven. So typically one of our customers for a particular problem will start with one product. So again, pop monitors are with water, ranch monitor, energy, and crop monitor food production. And once they are on our platform, what usually happens, the accountant or the agronomist will see the value of having that as a remote collaborative tool. And especially during COVID-19, which saved a lot of people, truck, truck rolls, uh, face-to-face meetings by being able to look at the same information of the farm at the same time in a very user-friendly, like a map 
for uh, a simple list. And so, you know, most of our customers over three years develop the full suite. Uh, so a bit like go to meeting, go to SCS, go to webinar for small businesses. And we're really focusing on bringing the productivity type of tools that people have in healthcare or technology or financial services to bigger tips of farmers in the field who, you know, have wonderful community values and retain wonderful people in their community, but don't really have a fighting chance right now because there's so much regulation. So we really want to help them by providing a data tool. So the next five to six years, they can get some profits back into their uh, balance sheet. So Olivier, this is all very interesting. And I'm curious to know if Ag Monitor is like a made to order kind of program. If you know a client just wants to use just pump monitor, can they do that? Do they have to buy, you know, all all three, you know, pump monitor, ranch monitor, crop monitor? Can they pick and choose which ones they want to use on their operation? They only by what they need. So, for example, let's say a general manager of a farm to deal with regulations for brand water reporting. We'll just start with pump water and buy your subscription. Now, maybe he likes the water information and realize that, you know, there's something going on with their food production. It's like, oh, let me connect that water information with some of our crop models. And if they close the loop and involve more people in the operation, and now four people look at the same data the second year, they can start, you know, improving the yield per acre or, you know, have the same uh, crop production with 20% less water. And so what we're trying to do is help people uh, adopt using a subscription model, the type of SaaS tool that, you know, many industries have access to, you know, you and I every day rely on five or six technology tools that we pay from $30 per month to, you know, a few hundred dollars per month to make decisions very fast. Uh, that's lacking in farming for a number of reasons. I'm happy to talk about that, you know, from standards to cost of solutions, but this is lacking and the new generation of growers were coming, uh, you know, they need a new set of tools. You know, the, the data shows that in the next 15 years, 65% of the farm are going to change hands. You know, people are retiring and, you know, the sons and nephews are taking over or, you know, in some cases people are selling the farm to uh so, so there's a lot of actions going on right now, and data management is is, a, is an asset that the farms can, can leverage for their own benefit. I definitely agree with you, Olivier. I think we are in a unique time within the agriculture industry as we're seeing kind of a phase out of these older generations. And Ag Monitor has been around for six or so years now. I believe that's what you said before we, we started recording. And you guys were formerly known as Pow Wow. So you have had some time to kind of trial and error and see what users are thinking about Ag Monitor. So with that being said, what are you know some of the major feedback that you are getting from your users on how you know this data service is working for them? They're definitely into an implementation mode. It's very rational right now. Uh, because we've been around for several years, we have very strong case studies. We can demonstrate very quickly the value in dollars or time saving. So we continue to have strong adoption. But 
it's very different from five years ago where, you know, some of the commodity prices were high and farmers had the time and budget to try new things. And so with the AgTech investment cycle, but, you know, four or five years ago, you know, uh, we were kind of in discovery and trial mode and farmers were very friendly. Uh, and I think it was true for a lot of companies. Now, you know, with a trade war and the pandemic and other things like that, everybody has to rationalize. So we see kind of a door closing to, you know, kind of technology discovery. We're really in the mode of, okay, what is the accountant saying? What is the value? How you're helping me? And if you don't have clear answers on that, uh, you know, they're going to, you know, they have other projects to do. So I think we're we're definitely in a, in a second phase of ACTEC. I want to dive a little bit deeper into the solutions that you guys are providing. And specifically, I want to talk just a little bit more about Crop Monitor. And uh, my, my question is, what crops are you working with? Are you only working with, you know, certain varieties or, or species, or is it kind of all-encompassing? That's a very good question. Uh, we started with having high revenue crops in California. So we're talking about almond, pistachio, tomatoes, that type of things. And, you know, you got to start somewhere. So we have about 20, 30 crops we know really well. And now we're getting to larger operations. We're finding out that, you know, there's probably 100 to 150 crops that we need to support. And so we have relationship with the corporate extension system in several states. And, you know, we're, we're doing the, the groundwork to harvest data at a large scale, uh, partner with some of those domain experts to try to get those advanced crop models uh, into a package that, you know, will, will make a difference. You know, on average, uh, people who use our solution will get $200 per acre additional profit. And here's the difficulty. Part of it is well-known research that so far is packaged in, in research papers, so it's out of reach for the average grower. You know, they don't have time to do experiment themselves. So it has to be summarized. The other piece is uh, open data standards. You know, we integrate 12 other telemetry vendors, you know, we're just a, a software tool that automates decision using AI and alerts. And so, you know, we have an open platform. And so as standards arrive on the marketplace in farming, it's going to help that integration. And three, uh, we listen a lot to the farmers. You know, we have to understand that, you know, unlike the telecom industry or healthcare industry, you know, people are outside, you know, they are in the field. Some people don't speak English. And so for the value to be captured, there are some specific features that need to be developed. And so when you tie all those three things, uh, you know, CropMarter is providing a solution that, you know, touches three to four people. And now we're working with irrigators and supervisors in the field uh, that have specific needs using smartphones or text alerts. That That is really the challenge in farming. You know, half of it, it looks like, the internet of things like other industries, but the other half is understanding how the, the information flows for organization. And we, I can tell you farming has very, very specific needs. And so it's been very humbling. And, you know, moving from uh, the 20 crops we support right now to 100 is really a public-private partnership. And, you know, we work, as I said, with several agencies like the California Department of Food Agriculture, the Energy Commission, and Cooperative Extension Systems, but also with a 
network of other vendors. And we actually have an initiative in California that is uh, going to launch next month called Open Farm to really push those values to make sure it's a successful public-private partnership. Nobody can do it alone. Absolutely, Olivier. And for those audience members that want to learn more about Ag Monitor and the solutions that you guys are providing, where can they find you at online to do a little bit more research and maybe even sign up to be a part of the platform? Good question. So we are on the internet. It's very easy. It's agmonitor.com. That's one reason we chose the, the, the name. Uh, when you log in, you know, we have a few case studies that you can read. You can also sign up to our newsletter and ask for uh, a quick demo uh, online, 15 minutes. It's one of the things we have uh, implemented during the, the pandemic. You know, people can't meet face-to-face as easily as before. So, you know, there's no commitment. It's free. People can uh, just, you know, sign up and, and get more information. After that, you know, if there's a fit, we'll, we'll definitely have uh, more of this conversation and start working on the digital copy of the farm I mentioned so we can support them on one of their needs, whether it's water, energy, or crop monitoring. The uh, uh, other site, openfarm.com, there are other solutions, other agency having available data, and so that uh, website will be announced uh, at the end of the month and available uh, in March, uh, uh, openfarm.org. Big thanks again there to Olivier for coming on and talking to us about Ag Monitor. I think that, you know, with uh, their three solutions under their belt, they have got some success to find here in the near future. But we're always talking to on the rise folks for Tech Tuesday conversations, as well as other conversations about what's going on in the ag industry. So folks, if you want to catch up on any podcast episodes that you might have missed, you can do that on the Ag News Daily website at agnewsdaily.com. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.